Hey, this is John Legadakis of johnlegadakis.com and I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. This podcast is a live recording of an interview I do each week with other internet marketers, personal development and business leaders where we talk about how we can better promote our products and services online, get more traffic and make more sales. I hope you get a lot out of today's recording. Hello and welcome to the podcast everyone. It's great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. I have an exciting guest with us today. I'm grateful to have with us today, Philip Valitza. Thank you for joining us, Philip. Hi, John. Thanks for having me on the show today. Now, let me tell you a, a bit about Philip. Philip's been a mechanical engineer, and that might not sound very exciting initially, but uh, listen on. So he's a mechanical engineer, engineering manager for over 12 years, designing, testing, and building products from the cradle to, to the grave. He has worked for a broad range of companies, from mom and pop small businesses to some of the largest corporations in the US. His hands-on point of view resonates with other action-orientated small business owners and entrepreneurs. Philip is the founder of The Product Startup, a site that provides a step-by-step blueprint to aspiring product creators wanting to bring their ideas to market. Now, Philip, uh, before we talk about The Product Startup, I wanna get let people know a bit about you personally. If you can start off, Philip, tell us a bit about your growing up and where you were born and how you ended up in the US. Sure. So I'll give you the short version since you've got a short show. <laughs> um, so my mom and I left Czechoslovakia at the time. It was still communist, so it was still uh, it was illegal to escape from the country, and we left under some false pretenses. And we ended up in Athens in Greece waiting for our paperwork to come to the States. And while we were waiting for our paperwork, I uh, found a toy dump truck uh, in the dumpster. And, you know, at the, obviously we were at, at that point, we were waiting longer than we expected. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, two years in Greece, uh, single mom, we didn't really have a whole lot. And so I, you know, I, I walked by this dumpster. I found a, a almost brand new dump truck and it had these oversized bolts on it, uh, something similar to what you know a kid would kind of be able to take apart, and I, it was missing the front wheel, and so I, I found the front wheel, but I couldn't find the axle, and I rummaged around and I found some other wooden screw or something like that, and kind of jammed it in, and and I quote, you know, I fixed it myself, mm-hmm. and and from that point forward, I kind of pulled it around behind me, um, but it was it that was basically my awakening. It was a uh, this this huge sense of uh, control over my future. I found that um, uh, I, if uh, I, if I could just fix things around me or figure out how they worked, um, I had this this control over um, over my life, you know. And so it kind of it it forced me to well forced me. It led me into taking things apart as a kid. And even when we got to the states. Um, you know, I continued kind of taking things apart and putting them back together. And I went on and did my mechanical engineering degree. Um, and, and then went on to become a mechanical engineer. So today you have the product startup, but leading up to that. So tell us a bit about your career working and and why you went from, I'm assuming you worked for someone else for a corporation for a business, and then you decided to do your own thing. So tell us a bit about your experience, work experience and why you decided to do your own thing. Yeah, so I worked my way up through various jobs, you know, small businesses and corporate large, like Fortune 50 uh, companies. 
uh, doing product development for them, uh, product design. And it, it, slowly over time, I think, uh, as most people do in their career, you get a different title. You start managing people. You know, it starts with a small team and then a bigger team, and you're managing multiple teams. Somewhere along the way, I kind of lost what I really enjoyed, and that was the creating and the building and the taking a step back at the end of the day and saying, you know, I, I did this. This is the imprint that I've, I've left on the world. And I didn't really recognize it as that until, you know, I had, uh, so, well, I, I didn't, my wife did all the work. She had a, she had a, our baby daughter, um, about a year and a half ago mm -hmm. and, uh, I was still in the hospital with her and she was in recovery and I was holding my, you know, one day old baby. And I realized that 18 years from now I would wake up and she would be in college and I would still be sitting in the chair, kicking myself for not doing anything. So from that point forward, while I was still working for corporate, I basically started to write all the content for the product startup. And uh, even if there was, you know, there was definitely no business plan, there was no, you know, the, there's a, a market for this. It was like, hey, you know what? People have been asking me questions about how to get a, a product out there, and I'm just going to write it, and I'm going to make my peace with it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And tell, so tell us, Philip, with the product startup, who is it for? Is it as particular entrepreneurs that you're targeting that you're trying to help create their own products? Like, and can you maybe give us some examples of people that have used that content, what they've been able to do with it? Sure. So initially, I thought it was going to be individuals and um, uh, more inventors. Uh, I've since had a pivot, so this it was kind of a uh, an awakening for me. I launched the site in January, and it took me a long time. It probably took me longer than I wanted, four or five months, to realize that my target audience um, isn't really interested in paying for anything or any type of help uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so I've kind of pivoted the audience to small business owners that already have some revenue coming in that are looking to add additional product lines or maybe people that are that don't mind spending a little bit of money to help develop a product or they're already in business Let, let's say like it's somebody that's selling uh, FBA or private label on Amazon because that's really popular right now and especially the Amazon FBA so you're able to help people that want to sell their own products on Amazon yeah I'm actually a FBA seller myself and I've private labeled one of my products and I've got a couple others in the pipeline but that's uh, that's definitely something that you could apply the the site towards, but it's not the only way. You know, I look at Amazon just as an e-commerce site. Uh, as I'm sure that you talk on the show, there's all sorts of other avenues for you know for you to be able to make it to market. Let's say someone has an idea; they have a prototype for something. What's the steps that they need to take, Philip, if they want to see it, see see this prototype actually created, selling? Yeah. So I list the blueprint on the site, and I don't want to bore everybody with all the details. It's probably mm -hmm. uh, 13 steps or so. Mm -hmm. And I break it down into into that many steps because I feel like it's easier to follow. I think most people uh, know the basic steps of the process where you design something, you make it, and then you sell it. But those are three huge steps. And they can be kind of daunting unless you kind of split them up into smaller pieces. So, uh, you know, to answer your question directly, I think the most important thing, if you once you have an idea is to validate the market, just a quick go-go, like go, no-go. You know, are there any 
certifications that I need to get or any type of testing that I need or, it, you know, for example, FDA approvals in the U.S. for health type products. Am I going to be gated in the category that I'm going to be selling if I'm going into Amazon? Those types of things that will just help you make a quick decision on, you know, is this is the market large enough and are there any huge barriers to entry? And and I think the next step after that is really to go after your your audience, you know, and I think that's probably the hardest part of the whole process of developing a product is making sure that you can find who your audience is and that you're actually building something that they want. And it sounds very simple, but it's, you know, all the other problems are known problems that you could probably throw time or money at and find a solution. But no one is going to be able to, in my opinion, no one's going to be able to to hone the design of the product and to find the right audience as well as you should or you, you, you must be able to. A thought that crossed my or a question that crossed my mind is with pro- creating prototypes and, and let's say you've, you, you're past that stage and you, you've got the, you know, you've created the prototype and you sort of want to mass create it. Is, is China the, the place to do it or can you do it in the US, anywhere else? You know, I think it really depends on what type of product it is. I think if you look to China, certainly if it's made from a metal, uh, it's different manufacturers have told me the raw materials for the for especially in metals are subsidized heavily by the government. Um, so it's really tough to for you know local businesses. I know in the U.S., for example, we shopped around. We really wanted to have a product made in the U.S., and it was at least three times the cost in China for the same design, um, including shipping and everything. Uh, mm. So it's. I think it, it really depends on the product. If you've got a food product and you, maybe you're looking to uh, go out for contract manufacture, it might not you know, make sense to outsource outside of the country. Um, you know, especially if you've got certain quality requirements or you know local uh, sourcing requirements that you're trying to incorporate in the food. Um, so I don't want to really speak blatantly, but I think most people end up going to China just because the labor is so cheap. But I'm not sure it's going to stay that way for very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I asked the question, because I think that's what, what most people think Look, we'll take it to China. But it's not necessarily the case that you have to do it that way. Another thing I wanted to ask you, Philip, was, you know, when I think about uh, sourcing physical products, normally, you know, we'll think of sites like Alibaba dot com and that someone out there has created it but can you give us an example of a specific example of someone that you've helped or one of your own products that you've created it yourself created a prototype yourself and why you needed to do that rather than try just try to find someone else that was selling that you could purchase it from like a wholesaler for example i guess i can't think in in the the standard private label way you know i've got one private label product in amazon that was basically uh, a me too product it was the same product that's selling except uh, a couple different colors and different marketing um mm-hmm. and and that was really hard for me to to find that and because my brain doesn't think of that way i wanted to make this radically different program uh sorry product that was kind of from the ground up and so i didn't i that's just naturally where my where my head goes Going on Alibaba is definitely a really good first start where you can find manufacturers that are qualified in making that something similar. For example, uh, so, you know, the, the tried and true example that they use on all the the uh, training sessions is, you know, the garlic press. If you wanted to make a ki- kitchen gadget and it's something of that size, 
you could approach a garlic press manufacturer and say, hey, I've got this slightly different gadget, and can you help me through that process? I will say before you get to that point that you should already have a prototype and a design because if you depend on the manufacturer to do that, it's going to kind of uh, tie your hands in terms of what your options will be uh, when they come back with a pricing or, you know, if you want to try to be, you know, if you're trying to be flexible in, in case something happens with your uh, supply chain, you know, something happens to your manufacturer, you want to own the design and you want to control it. So what, what I'm understanding, Philip, is that we're not necessarily talking about, I mean, it can be totally new inventions, but a lot of the times it's going to be where you want to sell a product, there's nothing really out there exactly as you want it, so, and, and so there's some usually some tweaks that you want to do to the product. It's something unique because of those little differences that you want to have in the product. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my opinion, it has to be, you know, I would I would not be able to go through the steps of putting a product out there if I thought that somebody else could copy it and and instantly come to market, you know, in the next couple of weeks, you know, mm-hmm. if, if all you're doing is changing. And again, what I did with my PL product was literally just test the process beginning to end. So all I did was change the color and the marketing, but I don't have any expectations of staying on in the market with that for more than six, eight months without new entrants coming on and, and trying to take up my mm-hmm. share. Yeah, that's right. So that's the danger. So if you if you're buying something from a wholesaler, even something that's private label that you can label as your own, it's so easy for anyone to purchase it themselves and take your some of your market share. Right. I mean, the whole goal for me to put that product out there was to learn the supply chain of going from China into Amazon and all the little gotchas along the way and also to act as a cash funnel for the products that are brand new scratch products. Um, because the if you're designing from scratch from the beginning, you're going to have a whole lot more expenses, even if you're dealing with China, than you would a PL product. And that's probably most of the time why people go with uh, the Alibaba route where they go and find something and just customize the color because they're not having to pay for setup and they're not paying for molds and they're not paying for trials and all these other things that you do whenever you come up with your own product because that's a pretty big investment. And what do you advise people, uh, Philip? So let's say someone does want to come up with a unique product. Uh, how much time do they need to devote? I'm, I'm, I'm sure it differs depending on what type of product, but let's say on average, how much time and how much can they, especially if they're on a tight budget, how much can they get it all done for, for the minimum amount? What, what are they looking at time and money-wise? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to just throw out there between five and like 50,000. I mean, it's just a huge range depending on the type of product. I'll break that down into why it's that big of a range. You know, there's some people that have been a guest on the podcast that have created products for under $5,000 that are food-based products, meaning you can prototype it in your own kitchen and even scale up your business without having to go out for a contract manufacturer yourself, right? And so an example of this is the brand called uh, Puppy Cake. And uh, Mm -hmm. Kelly Costello started this when uh, before she was even 22 years old and she started selling this cake mix for dogs uh, from her kitchen and in less than a month uh, for less than five thousand dollars she already had buyers for this cake mix and all she had to do from that point is scale and I say like that's easy 
Uh, obviously, it's not. And Kelly's worked like nine years just to scale her business now. And she's selling on Amazon. And she's basically like outselling Pillsbury, um, which is amazing. But mm-hmm. that is like an easy thing to enter as opposed to, you know, the other end of the spectrum where you want to create something like um, an electronic device that goes through rounds of testing and certification and all sorts of other things that, yeah, you're going to be paying 50 to maybe a hundred thousand. And so, and there's all those other products in between. There's, you know, these plastic products that, um, that there's nothing to it. It's just a home product. That's an accessory. That's like a, you know, a doorknob, uh, mm-hmm. cover. So your, your kid doesn't walk out of the room, uh, unattended. It just covers the doorknob. It's a little plastic part, uh, two pieces, something like that you're looking for you know five to ten thousand dollars in molds up front with the manufacturer and then the design is you know whatever you can wrangle uh with people that you know you know going to a local college or you know trading a case of beer with somebody or hiring somebody on you know freelancer.com or odesk you know and so so that's why i say that there's just so many variables because part of what i i preach on the site is that here's the steps that you need to take in order to be successful and how you take them is up to you. And here's your options. You know, that's the kind of the same thing as if you were building your house, you can, uh, put every a screw and nail in yourself or you can hire that out. But at the end of the day, you're, you're the one that's making that decision. So tell me why electronics are so expensive. Like you're looking at around $50,000 for prototypes for electronics. I just threw that number out there, uh, just because you might have, uh, FCC testing or it might have, all sorts of other testing if it interfaces with other gadgets, if you've got Bluetooth licensing that you need to buy. I just threw that number out there again just because it tends to be more complicated. Obviously, you can prototype something really quickly. The Raspberry Pi is pretty popular, and so is the Arduino. Uh, and These are both kits that you can get for basically under $100, and even if you don't know how to program, they'll teach you how to do it, and you can come up with your own electronic-based product um, that's about the size of a deck of cards and go down that route for really cheap and then even hire a company that will take that design and commercialize it for you if you want to do that. There's just so many options. Yeah. Uh, just electronics end up being very complicated because there's a lot of things that can ro- go wrong in the development. And there are a lot of requirements you know, regarding like the type of solder that's used and making sure that it's lead free um, you know, and all sorts of other things that you know you need to consider. Mm-hmm. So would you say for first timers, are there any categories or niches that you recommend they stay away from because it's more, you know, it takes more time and money, maybe more experience like electronics, for example? You know, that's hard to say because I think people will make these rules and, um, and then you'll have other guys like me that will say, yeah, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and take that risk because everyone else is doing all the safe stuff and the safe markets flooded and I'm going to go where other people aren't. Um, so from, from a business perspective, it might behoove you to go where, uh, the people aren't going. So I don't want to make any, uh, broad generalizations. Um, but, uh, you know, to answer your question, I think look at what your skill set is and what you want to take on in the process and see how much of it that you want to farm out. And if you see that you're farming out a big portion of it, then consider maybe not doing that as your first product unless you're willing to kind of burn through that cash or you're willing to use it as a lesson um, because eh, there's so many things that can go wrong. And if this is the first time that you're going through product development and you're, you're either going to have to hire somebody that knows exactly what they're doing and that means you're going to pay them a lot of money 
or you're going to end up making those mistakes. And that means you're going to, I guess, pay yourself or pay your manufacturers all that money. So, Philip, so let's say someone's got an idea for a product, a physical product. There's nothing out there in the market or nothing. Yeah. And that, so they have to create it themselves. So let's say they go through the process of creating a prototype and they've got them, that's done. They've got lined it up with a manufacturer that's happy to create it for them on a mass scale and they're happy with the price and everything. An option to sell is you can definitely sell it on Amazon. Where's some other places they can go to or some other, let's say they, they want to sell on Amazon or they don't, but they want to expand their distribution. Can you give any ideas of where they could go, how they could sell this unique product they've created? Yeah, so I like Amazon a lot because there's you get a, in front of a lot of buyers, and I'm sure you talk about it on the show. The conversions on Amazon are just ridiculous, uh, you know, twenty something percent, as opposed to if you put up a Shopify site and you're running e-commerce and you're in the uh, what is it half to two percent conversion range. Right. So it's you know it's hard to be amazon for online conversions especially when you're starting out and you don't have the time or money to invest in the seo and all the lead gen and everything else that you would need with a dot com now i'm not saying that you can't have both you know I would, for me i would put up something like a shopify site uh you can still have it fulfilled by amazon on the back end and still list your product on amazon and then experiment with driving traffic to your shopify site and I use Shopify just because it's really easy to set up and you don't have to mess with it. And I say that as a highly technical guy who's cobbled together a lot of things in my life, it, even with my site. And I just ended up paying for templates and things like that, even though I'm, I ended up modifying the template from scratch and doing all sorts of things that maybe I shouldn't have done. Just trying to cobble some things together to save $100, you're going to end up having to pay for that later you know, as new releases come out. So you know, to answer your, your question, in addition to selling on Shopify uh, and creating your own store through there, there's def definitely, depending on the type of product you have, there's definitely blogs and other sites that may, would love to do reviews of your product and maybe help you drive traffic. You can always start selling in local retail first, especially mm -hmm. if you've got some relationships with shopkeepers to do on consignment and things like that. In my opinion, uh, like I've I've got some relationships as well, and it's so much easier to sell on Amazon, especially if you because you can gauge how big the market is and how much inventory you need to buy. Um, even the local guys, they even though they have maybe relaxed requirements compared to something like a Bed Bath and Beyond or a larger chain, even though they're not asking for a whole lot, it's just such a pain to deal with uh, 50 units shipped to this location in this certain way, and. You know, I'm not going to get paid for another 30 or 60 days. It's just something that, per me personally, I didn't want to deal with. Uh, you know, in the beginning until the product was proven. Um, of course, I I definitely see it as a as a second step. You know, once you start selling well on Amazon, to me, I'm going to try to get off of Amazon as fast as I can, or I should say, I'm going to try to fork and sell. You know, in parallel places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good advice. Thanks, Philip. And what we've been talking about today is so relevant to, especially like, uh, I'm in Australia, Amazon is coming to Australia very soon, and that's going to just change so much about the way retail works in Australia, especially with physical products. This is a, it's an awesome opportunity for lots of people, for mums and dads, to, uh, for young people, anyone really that wants to make an income selling your own products through Amazon. So I really appreciate the time you you've had with shared with us today, 
Philip to share your valuable insights and the benefits of having a unique product and how we can go about creating a unique product. And as you mentioned, so on your website, and that I'll just share that with everyone, it's theproductstartup.com. If you go there, you mentioned you've got some templates that people can use, like a 13-step template you mentioned previously. And I know you've got lots of other interviews you do. You do podcast interviews with other experts and, and people that have experience doing this kind of thing. So there's lots of great resources there for anyone that wants to learn more. You can go to that website. Philip, is there any final thoughts you had for our listeners today? No, you know, just say the best way to not succeed is to not get started. You know, you have to get started and there's no better time than the present. And especially if you're younger and uh, you're maybe, you know, you don't have a family yet. Speaking to my younger self here, uh, I always put it off because I thought, you know, uh, I would f have a, that good idea or that better. It would be a better time to do something. And there's definitely not a better time than the present. Yeah, excellent advice. So true. I wish that I could turn back time. <laughs> I can, I'll tell you right now. Yeah, definitely get started immediately. It doesn't matter what age you are really at all. It doesn't matter what age you are at all. Uh, now is nope. the best time. Yeah. Again, thank you so much, Philip. Really appreciate you being on the show with us and, and sharing that valuable, those, these valuable insights. And I want to thank everyone as well for listening today. John, thanks again for having me on the show. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you got a lot out of it. As a way of saying thank you for being a loyal listener, I've got a very special gift for you. You can get immediate access to my online business coaching program for free. These step-by-step -step videos will show you how to set up your website, create an automated sales funnel, and also how to drive targeted traffic to your business for literally pennies per click. It's ready for you to access right now. Simply head on over to johnslikes.com forward slash podcast. This is John Ligadaka signing off. I'll see you all next time.